Good morning, everyone. This is Paul Cerro from Cedar Grove Capital. Today is October 1st, Saturday, and we're going to be going over our Q3 quarterly letter and how the fund has performed. So in Q3 2022, Cedar Grove Capital Management, or the fund, or Cedar Grove Capital, returned 5.9% gross return compared to negative 5.3% for the S&P 500, 3.8% for the S&P Consumer Discretionary ETF, and negative 13.9% for the Cannabis ETF, and negative 2.5% for the Russell 2000. So according to our benchmarks, our, this quarter we beat them all. Uh, market commentary. I will be the first to admit that the first half of this year took me completely by surprise. The beginning of the year was all about multiple compression, while earnings for the most part were stable and going up. This meant nothing to the market, and speculative tech names and cyclical stocks, like consumer discretionary, took a pounding. I was on the side where the consumer is okay, and continued to focus our capital on names that, will, that still were posting good results and that we felt would weather the storm. However, it quickly became apparent that economic conditions were rapidly deteriorating faster than what lagging data provided. The quote-unquote inflation has peaked narrative proved to be false, and we believe that the consumer was indeed not okay. You can, you can find our succinct thoughts in our post from September 6 below, titled Broken Arrow, The Consumer is Not Okay. Uh, that post will co cover the consumer commentary portion of the section. Um, but moving on, so our economic research motivated us to immediately close virtually all our positions and hold only one core position, Twitter, for the arbitrage opportunity. While we did not time the top of the rally, we did avoid the slaughter immediately after as more lagging economic data came out. One and two year yields spiked on the assumption that the Fed would have to be more aggressive than the, than the market previously thought since there was a poor August inflation print. This also boosted the Wall Street Journal prime rate past 6.25%, the highest since, 2000, or since early 2008. This prime rate is directly impacting the consumer in various ways, credit card balance rates being one of them, considering now that the average credit card rate is the highest it's been in more than 25 years. The sliver of good news is that while the 2 and 10 uh, year US bond spreads have been inverted since the peak summer, the gold standard of the three-month to 10-year U.S. bond spreads have regained positive territory. This does not mean that a recession is not going to happen, but considering that every time the three-month to 10-year has inverted, we have had a recession. First time for everything, but time will tell if it does remain the gold standard for the 100% hit ratio. Aside from rising rates, pushing stocks lower, there are multiple bubbles popping in the market. One of the biggest revolves around crypto. If we look at the price of the top two crypto tokens, Bitcoin and Ethereum, both are down 59% and 64% year-to-date respectively. Speculative assets continue to crater and a flight to preserve capital continues. This is even more apparent in the once-hot NFT marketplace. NFT monthly sales volumes have completely jumped off a cliff as investors have come to the realization that JPEGs are indeed not worth anything. Influencers that were once shilling these worthless projects to naive retail investors have also felt pain as well. And for those of you listening in, uh, I just attached a tweet from Logan Paul, who paid $623,000 for an NFT that is now worth $10. I'm going to repeat that. It is now worth $10. This bubble will continue to deflate as more hodlers tap it as a source of liquidity than the next two bubbles we're going to be talking about. First one is the housing bubble. 30-year fixed rate mortgages have been going through the roof. Um, 
rates spiked to nearly 7.1% before settling to 6.8%. That's with having an excellent credit score, FYI. There are also signs that there is plenty of pent-up demand for housing. New home sales rose in all regions, including a 29.4% jump in the South, where the pace was the firmest this year. However, according to the American Enterprise Institute's Housing Center, prices nationwide, measured month over month, fell for the first time in August since the depths of the COVID crisis, retreating 1.6% from July. The falloff looks extreme compared with the other two pre- other two-year pandemic frenzy marked by multiple offers and a shortage of listings that drove buyers to bid high. Now, listings are lingering longer because demand has collapsed. Adding to the active inventory, one thing may, keep, uh, may help to keep prices elevated. Fewer homes are coming on the market. A significant decline in the flow of new listings to the market over the last two months, moving from 8.5% below 2021 levels in June to nearly a 23% year-over-year decline in August, shows that some would-be sellers are opting not to list, either in response to slowing sales or in order to hold on to their low mortgage rates. Additionally, the historic rise in home prices over the pandemic, compounded by this year's uh, spiking mortgage rates, has pushed the monthly mortgage payment on a newly purchased typical home from $897 at the end of August 2019 to $1,643 last month, an 83% increase from this time of the year before the pandemic, according to Zillow. Given the prospects for a more challenging macroeconomic environment, home prices may well continue to decelerate. The next bubble is the used car bubble. There is finally some reprieve in the used car market, with prices declining by 4% in August and continuing to drop in September. The Manaheim Used Vehicle Value Index, which tracks a collection of used vehicle prices, has revealed that prices are at the lowest level since September 2021, and roughly 11% lower than they were in January 2022. In addition to prices falling by 4% in August, they also dropped by 1.4% through the first half of September. Prices continue to fall 1-2% every week, and the end of the year could yield the best deals before a potential rebound. Used car dealerships will feel the effects of declining prices and should translate positively to future inflation prints. Next is not a bubble, but it is important, which is Forex, which I've labeled as the silent killer. Another point that not enough people are talking about is the strength of the US dollar. In times of trouble, the dollar is the world's refuge and strength. This is true even when the US is the source of the trouble, as happened in the financial crisis of 2007 to 2009. It is true again now. The strength of the dollar matters because it tends to impose contractory pressure on the world economy. The roles of the US capital markets and the dollar are far bigger than the relative size in its economy suggests. Its capital markets are those of the world, and its currency is the world's safe haven. Thus, whenever financial flows change direction from or to the US, everybody is affected. One reason is that most countries care about their exchange rates, particularly when inflation is a worry. Only the Bank of Japan can be happy about its weak currency. The danger is greater for those with heavy liabilities to foreigners, even more so if denominated in dollars. Sensible countries avoid this vulnerability, but many developing countries will now need help. In a September 6th Washington Post op-ed, El Arian explained that a strong dollar could be a mixed blessing. Uh, quoting him, On one hand, the strength of the greenback helps to reduce U.S. inflation, but at the same time, when the dollar remains persistently strong, it can bankrupt developing nations as their dollar-denominated debt costs soar. End quote. Another issue here is that because the world is more global, multinational corporations have the biggest risk of a strong U.S. dollar when it comes to earnings headwinds. 
quoting uh, Salesforce CEO Mark Benioff, we had a great quarter, but yet again, the dollar had an even a stronger quarter, end quote. Repatriated profits from abroad in euros or pounds or yen are going to be worthless in dollars because the dollar is stronger. And for those listening in, I attached a tweet um, that shows companies that are in the S&P 500 and what percent of their sales uh, have exposure to Europe and what percent of the S&P 500 they actually take up as far as the weighting. To give an example, Booking.com uh, has 78% of their sales coming from Europe. Um, Estee Lauder, 43%. Uh, DXC Technology, 41%, Autodesk, 40%, Mondelez, 39%, etc., etc. What's good news for importers isn't good news for many exporters. When the US dollar is strong, American-made goods become more expensive and less attractive to shoppers in other countries. Additionally, people living in many other countries where the currency is now weaker than the dollar may think twice about traveling to the United States. As the dollar gets stronger, their visits will become more expensive. Hence, depending on who you ask, why this is all a quote-unquote mixed blessing. Moving over to our portfolio, like I mentioned above, uh, we really do only have one core position, which is Twitter. Um, uh, For our standing with the company right now, we have a 22.5% return, and it's currently weighted at 5.1% of the total fund. Uh, We have another position, which is Agrify. It's a call option. Um, Right now, currently 1.8% of the fund. Um, but we have written it off completely and a little bit more on that later. Um, but we really closed out of everything. So even though we sold out of virtually everything, we do still believe in the underlying fundamentals of a few uh, positions. Exponential Fitness, Petco, The Joint Corp, and RCI Holdings are names that we are still incredibly bullish on. We decided that until economic trends stabilize, downward pressure, downward price pressure will continue and we can hop back in when we feel more comfortable. Our Twitter arbitrage trade is still in play and we're becoming more reassured in the success of Twitter forcing Elon to buy the company as information continues to be released, especially his text messages. While technically NAV of our Agrify options would have moved us to a 6.3% gross return for the quarter instead of 5.9%, we have ultimately written them down to zero as we believe they are worthless despite the current NAV. Other updates. So we have actually launched um, three thematic index trackers. One of them is the pet index, um, another is the fitness index and another is the U.S. Cannabis MSO index. And the reason why we just recreated these is because I recognize that there are a lot of people who would like to just track this on their own. Um, so the pet index really just is a bunch of names uh, like Petco, Rover, Chewy, Fresh Pet, etc. that you can you know, click the link, um, see how it's performed year to date uh, and just kind of get your eyes on that. The fitness index is the same thing. It's Nautilus, Peloton, um, Exponential, Planet Fitness, uh, Beachbody. Um, so you can track those as well. And for all the cannabis um, investors out there, while the industry has taken a complete beating this year, um, I figured that isolating just uh, the, the tier one US MSOs would be a good idea, um, considering how the ETF tracker that I know a lot of people have been following, MSOS, has uh, bits and pieces of ancillary businesses and Canadian cannabis, so I wanted to isolate that. Um, All these trackers are free to use, and you can share them with those you feel might benefit from seeing how these names are performed. They are powered by Google Finance, so some days might not populate immediately, or a quote-unquote break could occur. This sometimes happens, but it fixes itself in due time. So now let's move on to closing remarks. We do not believe that now is the time to deploy capital, but rather preserve that any, any that is left. 
While over 90% of our assets are in cash right now, we will only look to redeploy capital when we believe A, underlying economic conditions have improved, or B, the market sells off enough for us to be more comfortable with the risk-reward potential. If we're eyeing a bottom for point B, intrinsic value in our opinions is closer to 3900 on the S&P, while if we went back to a modern mean reversion multiple on earnings of 15 times, it would put us around 3420 at the midpoint. Not saying that this is the bottom or that it could get to that point, though it could, but that's what we f- would feel more at ease about. While we're waiting on underlying trends, we do have names on our radar that we believe can benefit once unemployment ticks higher and commodity inflation continues to slow its decline. Q3 2022 is over, but I suspect the real capitulation will be coming in Q4 and early Q1 of 23. Hold fast. So until next time, guys, this is Paul Serra from Cedar Grove Capital. Uh, appreciate you listening in. If you have any questions, please make sure to uh, comment with any feedback and like the posts if you uh, enjoyed today's um, readings. Thanks a lot, guys. Until next time.